Boop-a-doop. Joe Rogan. This is the, uh, well, wait a minute. I'm Ryan. I'm Harland. <laughs> and this is wait the a minute. Doddler's Philosophy Podcast. And we're here in, to all you zero listeners out there, you may not know, but we don't actually record in the same room together. We record in very different states in the United States of America. And uh, I'm on a road trip with my family, and it's fun. And we're passing through Minnesota, and we decided to stop by Harlan's to do a podcast. No, we decided to stop by for a visit. And while visiting, we were thinking, son of a bitch, let's do a podcast. And Live and in person. Live and in person. So, uh, yeah. And also, it's really hot. And it's like 100 degrees, 100% humidity. And we're in Harlan's... It's like a train depot that his Not family... Not only like a train depot, it's so much like a train depot that it is a retired train depot. They're in a... They... they they absconded his family with a train depot and it is on his property. And because it's so hot, he's had the AC running in this room all day, but I insist on the AC and the fans being off. Our number one trusted fan right here, number one fan of the podcast is off. And I'm, we're hoping to maybe, uh, (laughs) we're hoping to maybe have a nice, tight-sounded fucking podcast. But I'm not even using what I usually use, so maybe this is even better. I don't know. And then Harlan's using what he uses. It's technical. But we, as Carlin... Carlin... Oh, shit. As Harlan likes to say, we're bringing you content, zero listeners. By the way... Uh, Har- Harland, what what are we talking about tonight? I think we should do our best to attempt to talk about the truth. Mm, the truth. What do you uh, What do you mean by the truth? Well, don't ask me. I don't. I don't believe in the truth. <laughs> I'm not seeking the truth. But I hear a lot of the rest of you are. From what I gather, the truth is desirable. A lot of people seem to like it. A lot of people seem to want to get some and bring it to you. A lot of people tell me they have it and I need to listen to what they have to say and I need to change my mind, so that I uh, agree with them, because they have it. I'm not entirely sure what it looks like. It, they always keep this curtain pulled in front of the truth, or you know, it's kind of, it seems like a Wizard of Ozzy thing to me. You know, there's always smoke and mirrors, and but they assure me that it's back here and it's great, and I just need to buy it. Um, but I don't, I don't know what it is. When I do my best to come up with a definition that I think represents 
what other people mean when they talk about truth. It runs something like, the property of some linguistic objects such that they accurately represent that which is the case. Um... What you, does that mean anything to you? What you, what you, uh, you sound like a fucking kook. What are you? What are you talking about? Uh, you're some kind of nonsensical individual over there. What is this case business? You're talking. A, I. It just sounds like mumbo jumbo. Speak English, man. It's not my strong suit, <laughs> but I have to. Um, all right, so that doesn't work for you. The true, the truth is, when you say something that tells me how the world is. Is that better? A little better. But people might say things like that all the time and not be telling the truth. Mm -hmm. They might be saying something that they did not perceive or whatever and just trying to get you to buy that air conditioning unit when really it's not what they advertise. What then? What then? That's to me that's what it seems like. That's how it typically truth claims function is that their salesmanship rhetoric uh that people think and I guess it works. It seems to work on a lot of folks. That that's persuasive. To say what they were going to say anyway, but then to either preface or postscript it with and let me tell you, this is the truth. So, all right, what about phrasing it this way? One of the popular accounts of it in the philosophical literature, they call the disquotational theory. And the standard trope to express that is to say that snow is white if and only if snow is white. Uh, and the first one has quotes around it. So like the proposition or the phrase, snow is white, mm-hmm. is true if and only if the world has this stuff in it called snow, which itself has the property of being white. Uh, so that when people say, here's a duck, or whatever, it's, tr- it's true, there's, there's a duck behind this curtain, whatever, that it's just a flourish. That it's, there's truth to there being a duck behind a curtain? Yeah, when they could just say there's a duck behind this curtain, they might add, before or after saying so, it is true that there's a duck behind this curtain. Or, it's true, I tell you, I'm telling you. Know. I hear people often say, and I wonder what you think about this, I often hear people say, it's a fact and then they go into something else. That gravity is nine point whatever meters per second. It's a fact, man. It's so, what is that? How does that play into, <clears throat> it's true. 
there's a duck behind the curtain. There's a large number, at least a medium-sized number, of epistemic terms in any advanced vocabulary, such as the natural language English. And I think that the current state of it, in my perception of 2018 America, is that ours is a mess. In fact, is a great example to me of one that doesn't have a tightly shared standardized definition amongst most people who use it. Um, and the people who use it the way you were just expressing, gravity is a force with this uh, metric amount, whatever the word I want there is. <laughs> That's a fact. I think it means something like is has been socially established to a degree they find satisfactory that the proposition they're going to express has institutional backing or something like you can look it up it's a fact because when you go to wikipedia that's what you're going to see so there's an appeal to authority in a way or exactly in a way yeah i think so so in that way that someone would use it's a fact, this gravity or whatever, uh, that's an appeal to some, you know, some piece of information out there that a whole bunch of people agree on. Um, and, you know, if you didn't agree on it, you might be even ridiculed, right? If you were, you know, if you, you know, like, no, 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 it can't be just nine point whatever meters per second it can be lots of things or whatever or or gravity isn't even something that exists you could be ridiculed by the i don't know the 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 newtonian mechanics community mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> i don't know about modern physics they might be curious about that and be like let's investigate you know but uh there is a you know there are these pieces of information that are, you know, almost anchors in, in in what we believe. Is that how you would imagine people are using this idea of truth and, and we've brought in this word fact? Or is it something a little bit deeper than that? Like, it's not just simply in how we formulate our cultural beliefs or, or just our norms, but there's something a little bit more rooted it sounds to me from the things you were saying before I distracted you with other things that it comes down to language and in particular this idea that quote-unquote snow is white um, is true if and only if the snow is white, right? And that's sort of a pairing between something we'd call the world and something we'd call the words, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> not enough heat and alcohol right yet. Um, so I'm trying to get to, it sounds like maybe there's a little bit more to it than just simply the things that we throw out there, like our little cherished facts about, or cherished pieces of information about gravity and whatnot. Or is it not? Is it exactly just that every time? Like that there's this word game or there's a language game going on and we're not 
matching it up with uh, what are we doing? Well, the so you have instances of truth claims or appeals to truth made by individual humans in a moment, you know, actual speech acts that say, that claim truth. And then you have whatever abstract definition that the philosophers want to invent and enshrine as what truth means or ought to mean. So the one that I was throwing out there at the beginning is one of the classical definitions, and it's the one that I find the most effective. I like it. I think it works. I think this is what we ought to go with. That In the literature, they just call the correspondence theory, and that what truth is is that we want our language to correspond to this thing that we call the world, and when it does, or those pieces of language that succeed at doing that, we call truths, and those that fail for one reason or another, are a mix of other things, falsehoods, meaningless statements, game rules, you know, there's lots of different alternatives that sentences can hold in that position, but some of them are apparently true, and then one interesting game would be for us to try to sort our sentences by that property. Which one of these? I would like you, you know, as a task to the student or whatever, go out in the field, find and bring me ten truths by next Tuesday in order to get your extra credit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be, as we were talking about on a recent episode with our triangle diamond <laughs> modes of investigation, that a lot of people seem to be interested in playing that game. I want to go out into the field uh, or go into the pen where we have all our sentences and I want to pick them up and examine them and find the ones that are true and bring. I'm seeking these, that property I really like, and I'm going to bring back a bunch of truths and give them to you. And you must or ought also believe them and operate accordingly because the truth is good and important. But, I mean, that's another point for later, probably, whether or not we ought to value truth in the first place. But I'm not answering... What I don't know if I'm on the same thread as you want me to be on. It's okay. I think there's enough threads here for us to... Uh, sew up a nice little conversation. Uh, uh, so... I don't know if I quite fully appreciate the correspondence thing. I think I do. I really, you know, because it seems to me to make sense, but I still may not be making sense of it in the way that you understand it. But if, if I'm correct, that the correspondence theory has to do with, you know, the, the word, the arrangements of words that we use in sentences corresponds or matches up with the world if that is the case you don't necessarily have to have any now we haven't come up with a definition of truth beyond 
the correspond. I mean, is that you were saying is that the truth was correspondence theory? Is that right? That's my favorite. Because to me, that sounds like it, it, there's like the world could change, and then the language has to change to try and correspond it, or or it will always be kind of out of sync or whatever with the world. Well, right. So in this, under this construal, you've got your truth bearers, which would be these various intentional objects, of which the paradigm case is just uh, sentences. And then you have your truth maker, which in this case would be reality slash the world, whatever you want to call that. And so what... What I heard you just saying is, okay, well, if your truth maker changes, then that changes which truth bearers happen to be true. and which, So that if the world changed, then which sentences are true of it would change as well. But, of course, right? Yeah. If we have the cat is on the map, and it's true right now because there's the cat and it's on the map, but it gets up and goes to the litter box, then the cat is on the mat is no longer true. So that's... You know, the basics of how that functions, yeah. In that world, or in that system, how do you ever get truth then? If it's always, I mean, because things are kind of constantly changing. Um, and yet, you know, it's hard for even the whole collective of humanity and all the words and languages that we're speaking and sentences we're saying to be able to match all the changes that are going on. So how can you then ever have some kind of truth? Well, that's easy. You just have to figure out how the world is. Yeah, but how do you... And, well, right, that's not enough. Because then you also have to figure out what your sentences mean. And then you have to establish the correspondence relationship between the semantics of your sentence and the state of your world. Uh, and that's where all the big schools come in, right? You could be an empiricist and say that, oh, I can learn about the world by doing scientific investigations with my sensory apparatus and my instruments. And then, you know, if I want to know if the cat is on the mat is true, I go and look and see if there's a cat on the mat. Mm -hmm. But that sounds like a hypothesis <laughs> rather than a truth bearer. Um, so given that we have this idea of correspondence theory, which hoping, you know, fingers crossed that it makes sense to anyone listening, which I'm not saying it wouldn't, I just, in general, am hedging my bets as usual. Um, is there something about that that you don't like? No, that's my favorite. I like that one. I think that's what we should nail down as the definition of truth. Okay. So you like that as a definition of truth. And at the beginning, we talked a little bit about not knowing what was true. Is that because we haven't nailed down the definition well enough yet? Or in your mind? Or is that because um, it doesn't matter. Definitions are things we make up and... And, uh, you know, that's just a, another system that we've created. And it, it's hard to say that that actually does what it says it does. I don't, know if that's I don't think it's a definitional problem about truth. The reason that I 
for example, have made the personal choice at this point not to make truth claims to the extent I can resist, given my conditioning, and to push back when other people do it. I don't think it has to... I'm not complaining about the definition of truth. I would be complaining about both sides of what would need to be established in order to justify a truth claim. You have to know what your language means, like you can ever do that, and you have to know how the world is. (laughs) And somehow line those two up together. And I don't, I haven't been convinced yet that anyone is capable of either side, of accomplishing either side of that. That there is a fact of the matter about what a sentence really means, that there is some way the world really is, or that any individual human being could somehow access or possess either of those. What do you think the probability is that we eventually get there? I think, as of now sitting here tonight, that the probability is zero. (laughs) I don't think it's a technological limitation or an epistemological limitation or something with human beings. It seems to me like this is an inherent limitation of agency itself. That any time you have some finite bounded entity that attempts to express itself in language and or attempts to uh, perceive, model, account for its environment, that all of those will suffer from the same sorts of skeptical arguments. Because we get to be in the same room together, your face does not seem to be showing that you're like, yes, that was exactly what I wanted to say. Is that not what you wanted to say? (laughs) What you might have been seeing there is... Do you you get it? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, did did it get across? But with a ever-present patina of... I am so not used to this framing thing. Like, we're supposed to be sitting in a room having a conversation, but now I have all these layers in front of my expression and my thinking and my presentation and everything. That like, no, wait, this is being codified for history for a zero-person audience. But nevertheless, there's still this gaze that's... Uh, that I can't. Oh, that I have not yet become comfortable with. Yeah, oh. so I'm like having the underpants dream or whatever. Like being oh, in yeah. front of a microphone, it's like, oh my god, yeah. So there's all of that is happening. So okay, yeah. Um, some of the things you've said already tonight, and many of the things you've said in the past, would lead someone to think that you think 
like there is no truth or fact or whatever. But then other things you've said tonight could lead someone to think that you think there is, you know, a way there. It's just not, you know, like you said tonight when I asked you how probable you thought it was, you said it was probably, you know, probability of zero or whatever. Um, it's a very, it's not an easy position, I think, for a lot of people to grasp or, 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 um, uh, wrestle with, you know, because, um, when there's this thing of truth, it's really clear cut, you know, um, there's a line that's drawn in the sand and some things are true or they're not, right? Um, it doesn't go much deeper than that, I'm, I'm guessing, because if you were to look at the stuff that's not true, then it's like, well, you know, you, you could ask other questions that would kind of maybe cast out on the whole f- system, categorization or whatever. But truth has, I mean, it has a power component to it, Right? And, I mean, there's literally the phrase, truth to power. Um, and that's an interesting thing, because I think with other topics, one might be, l- like, with this topic, hearing some of the things you've said tonight, I think there might be a ton of resistance. Joe Rogan would be like, what the fuck do you mean, man? Or whatever. Uh, you know, and I think it has something to do with the power component. If you were to take the truth away, what would be pe- what would people be left with? And before anyone can ever even wade into this, and I'm just going to jump the gun and say it, you know, the map is not the territory kind of thing. Uh, they got to get over that first. Would you agree with that? That they have to get over the, the, the power issue before they can actually do the analytical stuff? If that's their concern, they should be on board right away, I think. Because that's what I'm saying is I take to be a critique of people who make truth claims. Is that they are the ones attempting to participate in these power dynamics and exert power over their audience. By bludgeoning them with the language of truth you know well in part because it's a prevalent assumption in our society it seems to me the truth is good and so that if someone is saying i've got some listen to me and they get up on their soapbox and they speak truth then it's incumbent upon anyone listening to pay attention, and then to adopt it, because, well, we all want to believe the truth, right? Um, But I get, I think I get what you were saying at the beginning, that one of the resistances to whatever, however one wants to characterize this position, skepticism, nihilism, uh, whatever sort of negativity comes along with refraining from resisting, asking others to stop it, this truth talk, 
is that they think, all right, well, what if we don't, then what? Like anything goes, what's the replacement? What are, what are we going to do? And that this is some kind of terrifying abyss where that maybe then if we get rid of truth, well, then it's all just a power game. Fake news. And then you got you just have to convince me with your packaging or your sophistry and whatever. And if we lose truth, then what? And I somewhat get that. But one of the reasons that I'm not sympathetic to it is that I think you're already there. You just don't see it. Sheeple, you know, take the <laughs> blinders off. Like, <laughs> Good thing there's only zero the listeners. The thing that you're wishing to preserve is the very thing of which you are averse. Truth language is the ultimate in power dynamics I think and so if you don't like that and if you're afraid and and averse to I don't want to be in a situation where we're merely dealing with power and persuasion but rather we want to pursue something purer like the truth uh too bad, so sad, can't have it, you're already not. And that's what truth claims are, is power exertions. So, the thing about truth claims is it's not necessarily that one would be able to use the truth claims, I think, but that one could always say they've got it in their back pocket. Like somehow, if you have access to the truth, you have access to a universal that no one can take away from you. You know, it's that kind of it. I think people think of truth as being empowering. And what I hear you saying is that truth is usually used um, over others as an implement of power. I don't know where to go with, like, you know, this is where some, like, political science, you know, conspiracy-like people would say, well, they're, you know, really smart at using, you know, this game to make you think it's about empower empowerment when really it's about, you know, <clears throat> the opposite. It's kind of like the, um, the serfs or whatever in Russia back during the czar when they said uh, um, they may be our masters but the land is ours or whatever like that kind of um, way of thinking you know and and I'm thinking that somehow some might be able to spin this to dichotomy or whatever of empowerment that truth provides for some people possibly and what they might think it does and the message that you're giving, which is that no, people overpower with the, say, the truth. Um, and then, of course, in our political climate today, there's all this worry about fake news and all that kind of stuff. And that that's this sort of chaos and disarray that comes w when you don't have the truth. 
when people don't respect it or they don't, you know, wield it properly or whatnot. So what do you say to those things? If you were, I feel like we're slowly cooking like a frog in a, in a, in a boiling pot of water. You know, we don't realize that we're is pretty much... Is your audio quality important now? Yes, it is. We've got like 25 minutes to live, but it would be the best podcast. Anyway, what do you say about the, some of the things that I just said? Do you have anything or are you just like... Yeah, it can be empowering, uh, but so can lots of other things. And empowerment is just a psychological trick and it's not epistemological to me. You know, you can sit in front of the mirror and say you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you. Uh, and it's true! You know, whatever. It can... If, again, you're already conditioned to be the sort of system that sees the truth as a good thing, which is not necessary, as Nietzsche attempted to remind us many times and apparently didn't stick, but... That itself is questionable. But if you're the sort of thing that thinks that truth has a positive valence, and then if you think you have some truth, that can help you accomplish your goals, do what you want to do, feel a little braver, do what you know. So, sure. But it can also be used, as as in your description, an overpower, a tool of imposing and overpowering others. But, so maybe this can be one of the benefits of new media, for example, Twitter, uh, all the different media outlets, and all that we can be instantly exposed to on the internet all the time. There are individual human beings who will claim to have the truth, and some of them will say, that snow is white, and some of them will say that snow is not white. And now what? I have two, as the audience, I have two different choices. They both appear credible to me for various reasons, and they're saying apparently incompatible things. And they're both claim to have the truth about it. What, I don't know what that adds. For CNN to say snow is white and Fox to say snow is not white or whatever it is. What does it even add for either of them to tack on this truth to their article? You know, the everything written herein is all and nothing but the truth. Okay, well that's the byline of alternative media outlets who write from a different perspective and say different things. It just doesn't help. I don't get why we can't figure this out and get over it. It's just a rhetorical device. Yeah, but it's like, um, I don't know if you remember that Ricky Gervais was on uh, Stephen Colbert's show and they were having some kind, because Stephen Colbert is like, Roman Catholic or whatever. And Ricky Gervais is an atheist. It was, you know, obviously a cartoonish, you know, two huge famous comedians trying to rile up some kind of interesting debate on late night television. (laughs) How Ricky Gervais won the debate was to say, yes, but if 
the world went away and we it started up again all those things like gravity etc whatnot would pop right back up again kind of like you know perennial plants or whatever just they would pop back up and to me that and 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 Stephen Colbert was like you got me there you know or whatever and to me that seems like again something that's hard to get over for a lot of people because they don't want to talk about language they don't want to talk about talk about language they don't want to do that they want to just have it they don't i'm not totally following this so they, what were they debating um it was about you know um you know how you know what what provides i suppose the answers that one would need you know is it science or is it you know spirituality and religion or whatever and 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 uh i think oh i think i remember now so you the point was if we wiped everybody's memory and burned all the libraries or yeah, something, something like and that, started yeah. from the cave It seems unlikely, says Gervais, that we would develop Roman Catholicism again. But it does seem likely that we would develop Newtonian physics again. Sure. Or whatever or your examples yeah, are. Right. That was the... Right? Right. And Colbert was saying, oh, crap, well, I guess I agree with that. Something. And like so that. that would indicate that the scientific literature is truer than the religious literature. Is that it has gist? access to something that the religious literature does not, and that, you know, especially the idea that things crop up again means that there is a, you know, there is a rock upon which it is under that all you have to do is go lift, open the, you know, pull over the rock, and there it will be, you know. Um, it's not a yarn that we're telling you know it is something you go you get you flip over the rock there it is almost like a game like a video game where it's like get get the this sword or the that you know uh healing potion you know and you just got it in your back pocket you know and you know where to go each time you play the game you know because you know you got killed or whatever and you got to start from the beginning okay i'm gonna go over to the oh here's that box i flip it over i grab the thing you know bling you know and you just keep going like that's sort of how that seems to me to be a portrayal of reality. Because again, to our zero members in the audience, um, you know, reality, truth, facts, all these words, you know, are kind of commingling. They they interact with one another, um, and I think are more or less in the same family of sorts. They are in the arsenal of the truth seeker. Um, <clears throat> to harken back to previous episodes. So, yeah, that was kind of my, what my think, thinking was, it's, that's all fine and good. You don't know how people, why people can't get over it. I'm telling you, I think they can't get over it because the idea that something is always there is super compelling. Kind of like, I guess, for someone who's super religious, who thinks there's a heaven, that's always going to be compelling for them. Like, hey, I may be die, you know, I may die but I will always have eternity, you know, or whatever. Like, I'll have this wonderful, awesome, every day's the best, although, what's a day in heaven? Uh, anyway, um, but all of that, and so I can rely on that. Well, I think it's a similar kind of move. There's a psychological aspect. It's not an epistemological one, but who's, 
who's your audience for this message, I guess? Is it the people down the road here? <laughs> or, like, d where does this go? When you make the statement, you don't know why people can't get over this. Like, wh who? Again, those people down the road shooting the semi-automatics? Like, what? what is it? Yeah, I think it could or should apply to everyone or those who are willing to listen and think about it for a minute. Um, I mean, depending on if you mean to whom is it applicable. Applicable? Who do you go, why don't they... Why do they keep this going? Why, You know what I mean? Like, who is it that you think of and it can be a generalized description. It doesn't have to be a specific name of somebody or anything. But who is it that you're like, God damn it. Why are these people still going on about this shit? What is it that they possess and all they need to do is reconfigure and go, oh, why am I doing this? You know, like, that's my question. Mm, most philosophers and scientists, I guess. Who's my typical audience or those with whom I engage through discussion or reading their texts or whatever. It seems to me as though most people in my community, my extended community, however that's constituted, are truthers. And I don't quite understand why in 2018... Most of them haven't figured this out yet. That truth claims and this vocabulary and rhetoric is just a, a cheap Wizard of Oz style persuasion tool and doesn't mean much more than that. It, is it too easy to just say <laughs> that it's because they're all too human? And that their foibles are, you know, as I think has been discussed in many venues. People often say, scientists are humans, you know. They say right. that about celebrities, too. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, they still have their biases or they still have their whatever. And, I mean, they they can still get caught up in the moment. Um, they don't always wear the scientist hat, even when they're may, maybe, say, uh, promoting their science or whatever. Um, I don't know how many scientists call up the journalists who are, uh, at least in this day and age, journalists who are making their stories popular and saying, you got this fucking wrong, dude. What the hell are you doing? I worked so hard, and you are promoting me, making me into this fucking hero. Everyone loves me now. You got me wrong. Ah! <laughs> it's just like, I don't know if any of them that would be doing that, they'd be like, oh well, I'm getting all these offers to do talks or whatever. You know, I don't know what the fuck they'd be doing. But you know what I mean? Like, they're susceptible to flattery, right? They're vain or uh, all these things, you know, all these these uh, uh, original sins or whatever. And, um, I mean, that would be my answer to your question. I don't know why they keep doing this because they're fucking human. And they are humans in 2018 or whatever yeah. it is. They have right. There's all kinds of bad reasons for them to do it. I just mean, I don't know. You don't know why they don't have any good reasons to yeah. do it. 
Yeah, okay. Or why they don't operate more often based on things that they would be capable of arguing Well, here's another thing for you. Now, some probably do, right? They take it very seriously all the way in throughout their their lives but they don't get all like you know invited to cocktail parties they're not in the social in group so they don't have a way to get it out there anyway right because everyone's like wow that guy's a bore what an egghead he doesn't even like it's like come on man take off the lab coat or whatever you know because there's always people that i've met anyway in the scientific community who would appreciate what you're saying and be, oh, of course. <laughs> you know and they would just you know they adjust their glasses and keep working or whatever it was, and who knows what the fuck they do for a good time. Um, but they would be just fine with that because it's perfectly reasonable, and I'm just going to keep moving along because that's what they like. But a lot of people who get into science, I mean, I don't think... I mean, the, it wasn't the one of the members of Bad Religion as an evolutionary biologist. I mean, how do you think he is as a scientist? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know his name, unfortunately, but... You know, he's probably a, one of the creative types in science, I'm guessing. Uh, anyway, I, uh, these are the kinds of things that I'm trying to raise as objections to it. You know, that maybe there's not any good reasons or, uh, you know, for people to be not, you know, just being, you know, uh, advocates of what you're saying or adopters of it but reasons are reasons i guess i don't know what that really means no um i was distracted so what about you personally or i don't know okay so are you on board or you know not understanding or do you not even really care about it? Like, why would somebody spend so much time obsessing over truth talk? Or, I mean, I don't know For where me, you are. For me, truth talk is is mostly, like any talk, I have grown accustomed to it. You know, like I say it because it's in my memory banks and it just comes out, you know. Well, the truth is, one one might say, and maybe they're referring to saying that they have a good idea about what events have transpired you know and they say well the truth is when the person's tire went flat you know you know they they decided that the road trip was over (laughs) i don't know you know like i i think it's a way of 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 just talking you know um in science and philosophy i obviously i don't think they do that very much in part because of their training and also in part because of peer review. There's always somebody out there who's like, this isn't good English. Or, you know, like, you need to learn how to write sentences better. There's always a maven, right, out there who's like a word maven or whatever, language maven. Um, And so people are obviously in the act of doing uh the writing and expression of what it is that they've done regarding the, you know, the philosophy of their ideas and the, the actual data collection, et cetera, of their science and the testing that they've done. They're very specific about that. Um, 
But for me, you know, these kinds of things are just ways of just talking. Um, accurate or not. Uh, most Would you often, say that it's almost analogous to or equivalent or in the same category as saying or whatever at the end of a sentence? That it's just a habit and we kind of say it or whatever. For me, it's more of a habit, I suppose, to say things like that because it's like, you know, you're you're saying words, but you're not really thinking about what you're saying. Now, when you're on stage and you're Sam Harris or whoever, and you go, "It's a fact," you know, to whoever your foil is for the day. Uh, you know, maybe you are trying to push something there, but it's in a way not a whole lot different than, you know not always having a definition in mind for the words in particular, the important ones that you're using, maybe, you know, but you're using them anyway. You know, maybe you don't have, like, it's a fact. Well, Sam, what is a fact? Define it for me. Uh, you know, like, you, you don't know where he would go with it. Maybe he would have a good definitional thing to say, but a lot of times people are just in the discourse kind of shooting from the hip, I guess, is how I see a lot of it myself included I don't really get down to thinking about what I'm trying to say until I'm writing and is that a good thing or an acceptable thing or is that okay is that, I mean it seems to be you're at least saying it's something I'm willing to accept because I'm aware that I do it and I don't spend much energy working to change it well, I need feedback. Uh, I don't get much feedback on this particular topic from too many other people. But I take it seriously. And so I don't do as much uh, probably offhand truth talk anymore as I used to. But there's a lot of things that I, you know, don't do that I used to as well. So I don't know whether or not it's valid or it's, you know... It, I get lost often in the relativity of things and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know if it's better or not, you know, um, because there's a lot of dimensions to my own particular life that I think I am, you know, growing through. And so I don't know if it's best or not. It's just at the moment, I'm more persuaded by these types of ways of talking than others. Primarily. Wait, you mean persuaded by or habituated to? Well, mm. well, there's a probably a persuasive component. Yeah, there you go. There's probably a persuasive component because you were so quiet when you were pouring your whiskey, and I was like, "Come on, dude!" Um, and that distracted me. Um, but there's probably a, an initial persuasion, right? And then you habituate to it because why? Why have to? You know, with all the things that you want to do in life. Like, for instance, you were probably persuaded, I don't know how, but probably you were persuaded in some way about driving in certain conditions. I don't know if snow conditions or whatever. And now maybe you've become more habituated to it. You know, we have yet to be persuaded about the technology we're using to do this podcast. So we are not habituated to it. And pretty much every podcast is different. And we have to go back and be like, what did I do the last time? We have to actually think about it and then get persuaded by what the best thing is, even if that persuasion is just like dumb luck and we're like, good enough, you know. Uh, but we aren't habituated yet. 
So I think there's an initial period of persuasion that then is followed by, okay, I don't want to have to think about this every single time. I've got other things that are on the front burner. That I'm moving to the front burner. I want to move forward. That's how I do it. it the analogy would be, um, I remember hearing uh, Neil Gaiman talking about why he doesn't do sequels for his books or whatever. Follow-ups, you know? And it's because he's always onto the next new shiny object. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I am too. I'm always like, ah, this next thing. I want to do this now. I don't want to do that thing again and again. I'll habituate it and then move on. That's kind of, I, I like that. Long pause. In that case, you seem, that you, there's some reflection, though. There's always involved reflection. With the, there's always reflection. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe for an elite like yourself. Mm. I don't know how many people that applies aptly to. Um... Uh, you know, know, if at least if you're even if you're choosing your habits and saying that habituation is a kind of efficiency mechanism, like first I evaluate it, I decide what's okay, then I practice it enough times that it becomes automatic, and then but you know what that's just like learning that's expertise, right? Um, like you know, learning to drive or whatever. After a while, you're driving down the road and you're thinking about something else, and you're not thinking about the 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 slight variation in how much you put on the accelerator or how many times no, you right. look You're at thinking the... about truth instead <laughs> yeah is that another analogy for truth ah, the correspondence theory that like you you push your foot down like it's a more than just correspondence more like correlation but you put your foot down on the gas and the thing moves faster no I don't know. Maybe not. We'll edit this part out. <laughs> well, that would be a possible but currently unpopular metaphysical picture, I think, that if you, that there would be an arrow in both directions, from language to the world instead of just from the world to language. That if you could, that would be, I guess, one version of what magic is, right? You have your little wand and your little intention and you, through some sort of occult mechanism, take what you want to be the case and cause it to be the case. Yeah. So that you take your truth and make it the Ooh. world, you make it true. Nice. And so there could be that, but I many uh, in 2018, that seems unpopular. What's to stop anyone from saying we're just a bunch of couple of postmodernist faggots? Like, what's the <laughs> decorum? Decorum, yeah. Because to me, I I don't. I know there's a lot of different discussion of postmodernism and stuff like that, and that I think some might say postmodernism like either reallocates the truth and distributes it evenly, or it takes it away entirely and that's your narrative or, you know, whatever. But that's not what's, what we're doing here. I don't see it that way. And I'm not personally, historically influenced heavily by what people call postmodernism. I'm not even entirely sure what that means other than that I 
am aware of the all-star team or something that people usually classify yeah. under that term. Right. The I haven't brat pack of postmodernists. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't engaged with their texts enough yet to be to express it confidently, though I have enough to be quite skeptical of most other people's presentation of it. You know, like they everybody always says Jordan Peterson doesn't know what postmodernism even is. And I feel like I've engaged with it enough that I agree with the people who say that. Most often, at least, you know, in my, if everything is for me relative to and contingent upon my community in the sense of those who I watch their YouTube videos and read their books and talk to and whatever. So, you know, who knows how small my tribe is. But it seems to me that my tribe is not postmodernist and talks about postmodernism as a sort of boogeyman but i think they just have a straw man interpretation of it and that there is more there than most people who are not sympathetic to it present as it but anyway to your <laughs> the point of what you were saying i don't think that you and i are postmodernists if for no other reason than that we haven't read Derrida yet or whatever, you know, that's oh, not right. where we're coming from. Yeah, right. We read Richard Dawkins instead, but yet I still somehow end up in a position that I think is pretty analogous, pretty close to what it sounds like the postmodernists are saying. I don't like the version when other people say, science is just another narrative or whatever. And it's what I would call epistemic egalitarianism that mm -hmm. it's all equivalent it's all the same nobody it's all just different stories and we should respect all of it and everybody gets to have their own truth right which is another way people use it that i have many problems with i don't like that one but i do like the postmodernism i like postmodernism to the extent and if they are agreeing with me that truth claims is primarily a rhetorical technique of persuasion of other monkeys who think truth is a good thing and that no one has legitimate epistemic warrant to claim to have it over anyone else. But what I wish we could do instead is just move to a paradigm of argumentation and discourse. And I think that can do all the heavy lifting that the absolutist rhetoric of truth and facts and reality and knowledge and certainty. all these things. And certainty. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep all of those words and have you know have explicit definitions of what they are but agree that it appears in our time as though there are no good arguments in favor of exercising any of those terms personally you don't ever get to say i have the truth or this is true but instead say um I am currently confident of X in this degree, and here's why. And then you present an argument, and you get to 
engage in a dis in a dispute about it. Right. So that gets rid of right away to me all of the egalitarian dangerous anarchistic negative connotations about well if we get rid of truth then anything goes no because instead you have to argue for it if something is true if you say something is true and your audience believes you you don't need to argue right it's just a catechism then it's just presenting it i i have the truth i have some truth here you go then you accept it we move on. You know, no argument happens there. And then on the other side, if we've entirely abandoned truth and it anything goes and I just am going to express my lived experience and you are obligated to accept it. Again, no arguments. But there's this huge middle ground <laughs> where we treat each other as equals and engage in a communication process. And attempt to persuade each other of things. With arguments, though, hopefully, rather than rhetorical flourishes. If there's a legitimate difference there, which I think there is, but that's arguable. <laughs> Amen. Uh-oh. Yeah, we have agreement time. Yeah, yeah we, okay. That was good. That was well done. I, I, who's going to be like, No! You know, I'm, I guess there might be some that have points to make against that, but in my experience, almost everyone says no yeah, to me, I and I anticipate that most of the, you know, for example, a name that's come up tonight. I think Sam Harris would say no to that, right? Maybe not. I don't know. I have no idea. Can't ask him right now. Uh, so probably shouldn't even attribute a guess. Well, but. It seems to me, as a person who walks around attempting to express this position, that I get a lot of pushback from almost everyone almost all the time. <laughs> so, it's unfortunate that you just agree with me. Because <laughs> now we'll have to find a way to keep the discussion going. Because agreement is among its <laughs> benefits. It has the detriment of being a discussion killer. It does kill discussions. Um, it does. It it it. it <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to, you know, in some of the little forums that we go to when we we discuss things, uh, you have presented some of you know your ideas. And one of them was about truth. So I think that in part has influenced us maybe to use this as a topic. Uh, not that we wouldn't have already because of all prior conversations we've ever had. Um, and, and the topic being, you know, what is the truth? Or I don't even know <laughs> anymore. I'm like, is that really the topic? Anyway. Um, but uh, you've you've talked about... You know, or you've you've laid out your argument, and it's been discussed quite a bit. You you used a couple of examples. Um, does this all hopefully is familiar for you, right? Uh oh, 
But one of the examples was something about the tiger in the bushes. Does that, you know, this is more back to the, you know, correspondence theory idea, I believe. Um, do we want to shift gears maybe a little bit and you can kind of go on about that? Or because we've already uh, talked, we've already gone meta and talked about how agreement kills things. <clears throat> so do you want to go into that particular um, example or analogy or whatever it was that you were calling it at the time? Yeah. Okay. So to continue the thread of agreement killing discussion, that's one of the reasons that I think radicalism, contrarianism, etc. is can be valuable in itself. Because if one doesn't think that Community X already has the truth or all the answers, and is right about everything, and we're done, let's put a stamp on it and mail it to God, that it's valuable to that community to try to push it in various places. Like, okay, well, we might agree about this and that, so how can I radicalize this position further to generate disagreement? And that maybe that can be useful. And one of the ways that I've tried to do that along these lines that we're talking about tonight with this topic of truth is to make the provocation claim that um, truth ought to be considered irrelevant to inquiry, to philosophy, to science, to whatever. We Not only can no one have it, or what, you know, the basic kind of skeptical positions, we're going to refrain from talking about it, but we should consider it literally irrelevant. And one of and this uh, the tiger in the bushes thing was a sort of example of defending that claim or making it sound a little more reasonable. But so the point of that was, I'm not saying if I say the truth is irrelevant to inquiry that the world is irrelevant, but just that truth as it again if we accept this correspondence theory version where truth is a property of linguistic objects so we've got two different objects one the sentence there is a tiger in the bushes and then another object or arrangement of objects or system of objects would be you know, in reality, in the world, whatever, you know, a tiger in some bushes near me, too near me for comfort, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that if someone claims the truth is irrelevant to inquiry, they are not claiming that it doesn't matter if there's a tiger in those bushes. What they're claiming is, it doesn't matter if the sentence, there is a tiger in the bushes, has the property of being a true sentence or not. Okay. Because or if so uh well we'll make it worse by even trying a new one that I haven't written down yet, but so we've got lie detectors. Huh? 
And of course, those don't even work. But at least it's an attempt at mechanizing, instrumentalizing, operationalizing what it is to lie. Maybe if we hook somebody up to this thing, there's a correlation between some measurable biophysical process and them attempting to express what they take to be true or not. And then if to the extent that that correlation holds up, lie detectors work. What the hell is a truth detector? Mm. Again, all of these uses of truth being correspondence truth. So a truth detector would have to be somehow being able to pick up a sentence, drop it into your machine, and then have it light up the green or red light, like, is this sentence true or not true? And I don't think that Humanity 2018, to my knowledge, has a respectable truth detector. I don't think we can take a sentence and reliably distinguish those that are true from those that aren't true. So that's why, or that's part of why I would try to say that it's irrelevant, you know, it. what does matter is me not being eaten by a tiger. That's the kind of pragmatic, important, yeah, yeah. imminent, you know, that's what matters to me. So if that's what matters... There are two different inquiries that I could engage in, right? I could try to become persuaded through various means of argumentation as to whether or not I ought to move now because I'm in danger of being eaten. And then the other one would be, well, I've got this sentence here. There's a tiger in the bushes. Can I design a machine that tells me if that's a true sentence or a false sentence? Can't, as far as I know, can't be done. So don't waste your energy on that. Instead, engage in the argumentation, in the discourse, in the praxis of choosing where to, whether to run or not. And that doesn't have to have anything to do, maybe, says this radical provocation, with the truth value of any sentences. The state of the world matters, the truth value of sentences doesn't matter. Maybe. You know, that's the... Um, how I can see people say, hearing, seeing that is that they would automatically think that yeah... If they take seriously that you think the world is important, then they shouldn't have a problem with everything else you just said. But if they feel sufficiently provoked or whatever, they might not hear that part and now think that you're saying it doesn't matter whether or not there's a tiger in the bushes or not. You know, that somehow... I think the biggest issue that people might have, all zero listeners... <laughs> Is that, you know, maybe you're talking about language and that all we have is language and that we don't have access in any kind of way to the tiger in the bushes itself. You know, often in conversations, you've had people who have said to you, 
that I've witnessed. If I jump off a cliff, I'm dead, you know, or whatever, right? Do you see that as being a misconstrual of or misunderstanding of your position entirely? Or do you think that these people are just playing into your hands or, you know, your radical prov provocative hands or whatever? Do you know what I'm saying? Or do I need to say that differently? We'll see. I mean, my initial response to that is just the basic, yeah, I get it. I don't jump off cliffs either. I, you know, like you, person who says that, I'm just a regular guy <laughs> making my way through the world and I gotta order Egg McMuffins and mm. sleep and what, you know, I gotta do all the same stuff and I also don't self-destruct so far. So, if whoever thinks that I don't think that or don't get that or somehow my position ought to entail a behavior pattern that doesn't... Uh, what's the opposite of recommend? That doesn't preclude jumping from buildings. Well, then I guess they don't get it yet. Because... But I don't think that's what you meant or wanted me to... No, I, 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 mean, I think that's that's close. Close enough. I, and I guess this has a lot to do with that I think there are not only valid, but superior replacements. I don't need to think that it's true that I can't fly in order not to jump off buildings. I think I can choose not to jump off a building because I think it is likely that I can't fly. What, that's all I need. I don't need to think that it's true. So that there's this, what I consider mostly laziness or whatever, that other people are like, well, if I don't have the absolute, then anything goes. Like, it's it's all or nothing. And I think that's just juvenile. I don't know. Well, I guess maybe would I, 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 without, maybe somebody would say, yeah, but well, what makes you think it's likely? And then somehow, whatever it is you might say, they might be able to say, there's the kernel of truth, you know, or whatever, right? That's the maneuver. What What is it that makes you think it's it's likely, you know? And what would you then say? Probably similar or the same stuff that they think. Uh, I think the best current models are such that I'm a material object subject to gravitational influence and that my uh, bodily contiguity is correlated with my continuing psychological enjoyment of existence and that those two would be in conflict were I to leap from building and you know the inductive stuff about well other things that appear to be in the same class of object as I, who have been ejected from buildings, suffer greatly soon thereafter, you know, blah, all, well, whatever. when they all fall and they suffer greatly, that's a fact. <laughs> um, yeah, that's actually fine with me. Because my definition of fact... <laughs> okay. 
that we haven't got to. It's similar to what I was suspecting theirs was. I think that what we should mean by fact is piece of information, proposition, sentence, you know, whatever you want to fill in there, that a given conversation is willing to accept for the remainder of that conversation. There's an obviously blatantly relativistic construal where a fact is just yeah well we're gonna just will you and i choose until we reach the end of this dispute to agree that if i jump off this building i'm gonna fall and die will you accept that and then you say yeah okay yeah sure now it's a fact that exact that agreement between a community is what makes facts that's what I think it should mean. And that's pretty close to how it's used now, but some people want to go further. So, like, um, Newton was a man. Fact. How does that one fall into this idea? Would you agree just because of, you know, uh, you know, well, the, the first name is, is typically attributed to males. The pictures of the man... Of the individual look like a man. Maybe there's an Adam's apple, but in in a way, I don't know. Like you don't really, you know, you you just have you don't really know. You you have you know. Well, yeah, Newton could have been a woman born in a man's body, right? That's right. And we're not getting into that. No. Um, Jesus, I don't understand your question because it's too obvious. From what I had just said. Like, if what you're saying is, okay, well, can we agree that Newton was a man? Can we make that a fact or whatever? Well, based on what I think fact ought to mean, it entirely depends on what I say next. And I can say either one. I can say, sure, I'll, I'll accept that for the remainder of this conversation or whatever. If I do, that makes it a fact. If I resist for any reason, including, well, I don't believe in male and female, or maybe there are no men, then it's not a fact. For us now in this conversation. Right, you know, so you fact- get to have, yeah, so it comes down to the agreement that people are willing to have. And then you can, for shorthand, expand it out like, and say, well, can we agree that anything released in a report by the Congressional Budget Office in the previous 10 years, can we just take that as a... A basis of facts, you know, so that if I can dig around in the reports and find a piece of information that falsifies your subsequent economic claim, will you be forced to change your mind? You know, and if you say, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to admit that into evidence. It's a lot like a jurisprudential strategy, you know, what are we going to, and I think that's how they even talk about it, right? Like, you know, is, uh, what are the facts of the case? That itself is a term of art, and it's determined, and it's a matter of dispute. I think those are typically determined by the judge, right? Like, judges determine matters of fact, and juries determine matters of whatever, guilt, or... Yeah. I forget the terminology, but... Your wife is the one who's the lawyer. <laughs> it's, I, I think that's one of the things that an idealization of our judicial system does well. That facts just are... They have to go through a process, but if they do, then they become, you know, it is admitted. And now, while we finish out this game of this trial or whatever, A, B, and C are facts. 
I like that. I think that's how we should stick to it. Yeah. Because then you get rid of this whole thing where you've got Bill Maher on one side and Ben Shapiro on the other, and they both have, and you know, and both of them say the fucking tropes. Well, you're entitled to your opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Well, what they both think they are. <laughs> All kinds of disputants will both claim certain things as facts, and then someone else will say, that's not a fact. And if that's how you use the word, I don't think it's doing any work. So let's just back it off and say that it's only going to mean those things that any given conversational participants are willing to admit into evidence. Now we can use the word again. Because now it actually matters if one side say, wait, but what you just said conflicts with something with a fact. Because that person supposedly already agreed to it. Right, right. No, I lost where we even were now. No, that's okay. No, we're just... We're just moving along wonderfully <laughs> um i wonder how fully we were moving along also <laughs> uh, <laughs> i you know what uh zero members i think we have to kind of sink to a lower level for my taste and we have to turn the ac on and that means there's going to be some noise Okay, it's going to be in the background. It's just a fact. This has to happen. <laughs> and I just told you, so now you'll you'll just this is the only thing you'll be able to hear. You'll just be like, "Oh, there it is." Um but if you have been drinking as much as we have, maybe it won't matter. So, while Harlan comes up with his next radical provocation about the truth, and stuff, and then I probably will interrupt him with something I just thought of. Um, I'm going to turn the old mechanism on. All right, here we go. Let's do a countdown. Three, two, one. Good afternoon, Mr. Amer. Everything is going extremely well. I like how if the editor does their job properly... No one will notice any difference right now. Ooh. <laughs> I hope so. So another thing that I... My other example that came along with the Tigers was the blackjack table, right? Yeah. So we can do a little bit of game theory stuff, which hopefully you understand better than I do, and we'll have something to say about this. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> when playing blackjack against the house, uh-huh. you know, when I've done it, they have one card upside down and one card... Right side up. What's the right side of a card? Next episode! <laughs> um, partial information game or whatever they call it. Incomplete information game. Right? I have some of the information. I know that they show a six. I don't know what's in the hole. Uh, so I've got my hand and I get to make my choice based on that incomplete information. Obviously, well, it seems obvious to me that what card is in the hole matters to my decision. If it's a 9, then the quote-unquote correct game-theoretic move includes X, Y, and Z, and if it's a another, if it's a 5, then my what moves are correct for me differ. But, as long as we play by the rules, 
what card they have in the hole is completely inaccessible to me. I will, I cannot, I do not and cannot know what it is. So I have to make my decisions anyway. There's all kinds of additional information I can add, depending on my sophistication at Blackjack. Oh, okay, well, this is a five-shoe game, and we're on hand seven, and I've counted this many face cards so far. What You know, whatever the good Blackjack players say can inform their decision and make them make a better play or not. They ought consider it irrelevant what card is in the hole is the, you know, in the analogy, the version of the truth is irrelevant. Okay. It's obvious to me that what card is in there matters because that is what determines whether they're going to win or lose. When that card eventually will be flipped, when it is flipped, that will determine the chips, whether they get raked in or pushed out to me. But since I can't ever, as long as I play by the rules know what that card is, I shouldn't spend any of my mental energy attempting in my inquiry to figure out what that card is. Because you can't. It's upside down. It's incomplete. You can't have that information. So I should spend all my inquiry on these extraneous factors that I do have. Well, what is my card count right now? And what did the person before me do? And all these other things. Mm -hmm. What would be the correct bet given the information I do have? Okay, so does that is that a good winning strategy in in blackjack? What you just described, as I understand it, yes. So forget about the card in the hole or whatever. Well, yeah, that's not included in the computation when choosing. You know, am I going to double down or split or bet or hold? Or, you know, what what my choice will be at this point includes nowhere in there. The identity of the whole card. Yeah, that's a that's a good analogy. It includes the likelihood of the range of what the whole card probably is. So you can do all kinds of work, and you know that I think is more like argument. Yeah, all these various pr- premises, and you draw a conclusion from them. Yeah. The premises could be, you know, obviously, like we just said, something that the other players have done things that you have done up to that point what you have now all that kind of stuff then you draw some conclusion about that make your bets on that but it seems to me like in the in that analogy what the truth seeker would be doing is trying to come up with some elaborate oceans 11 scheme <laughs> to get at, I just need to figure out how to see through the table or yeah. make the breeze come and blow it up. I have to somehow get at that card. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. <laughs> Don't spend your energy there. Yeah. The house is good. Right. There are good skeptical arguments. So don't try to get at world state. Just play with what the information you've got and you can still make correct bets game theoretically and win over time and that that this is just my attempt to get at this to express the vat what i take to be the vast middle position between the dogmatist and the egalitarian yeah that's a good way to put it um 
as an analogy, I don't have it. There's more agreement coming on the horizon. God damn it! But I, I don't know. How is it that you mean that it's game theoretic? I guess that's my only nitpick. Okay, you're making decisions, but like. That almost seems like it could be like a decision tree or whatever. You know, if this, then that kind of thing. Right. Is that not... I mean, I might just be exhibiting my ignorance here. But that's part of game theory, right? Decision trees and which ones have uh, better functional evidence in their favor for being long-term superior decisions. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm ignorant about it, game theory. I, I, I don't recall decision trees, but, but but that's, again, maybe where I'm an idiot. Um, well, you know, so you have a range of options. Well, yeah, there's a range of options. Given current state and how many chips you have and what moves are legal. And then you have whatever information that you do have. And then you just plug in, do some math and... But just doing it simply, like, um, how does this, like, like you know, like uh, the 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 obvious, most well known example of game theory, like the prisoner's dilemma? Uh, I'll go. I'll run down it really quick, and then you see. You try and tell me how this and that are similar, or something like that, uh, or not similar. Uh, you know, in the prisoner's dilemma, you've got two guys or gals or whoever, two people. Uh, that have, let's say, been um, charged with committing a crime. Um, they have a couple different decisions that they can make and a whole, like a suite of uh, options, or at least three options that are available based on the decisions they make. If, you know, prisoner A makes a decision to say that uh, he's not guilty and prisoner B says not guilty, then maybe... They only get so many years in prison. Um, if they both say they are guilty, or you know something like that, uh, then they then they're going to get more time in prison. Let's say, but if one says they're guilty and the other one says they're not, then it can be, you know, you know a, a disproportionate number, uh, or you know it's a it's a, you know even if they both committed the crime, let's say one ends up getting off better than the other or something like that. Like, I'm not portraying this very well, but the idea being that there's a sort of... they You might not know what the other person is going to do, and that's sort of the game theory thing where you actually, I think, are trying to decide what's the best decision that I can make given, you know, what's the best decision I should make given what my options are. Another thing I, I guess I'll say, which I hopefully clarifies this a little bit better, is like I remember learning a, the game of red and black. <clears throat> if two players put down black, they both get five points. If two players put down red, they get one point. If one player puts down black and the other puts down red, the player that gets black gets ten points, and the player that puts down red gets like, I don't know, uh, like negative five points or something like that so it's like well what what should you do you know uh what in you when you play this game where you put down two different cards red or black uh 
you know, you should always put down black. You know, it's that kind of, that's sort of the game theory, sort of, as I see it. So how does the card game that you're talking about apply to the decisions in a game theoretical way? Maybe I've gone way off the rails. We're not talking about truth anymore, but that was my only nitpick. I don't, I've never heard of Red and Black, but just from that presentation, it sounds like it's the exact same thing as Prisoner's Dilemma, except that it's, that expresses the multiple iteration aspect. Like you're doing a Prisoner's Dilemma thing against or with an opponent that you know will be doing it repeatedly. And that can change what is reasonable choice, right? Whether you know it's a one-off right, yeah. or whether you know you're going to have to do it again next yes, yes. can make what is quote-unquote reasonable differ. Uh, uh, in the blackjack case, this may be too specific to be relevant, but you do, most of the time in my blackjack experience, you know what the house is going to do because the rules are written in green on the felt in front of you, like... Mm-hmm. Dealer always hits, except if on soft 17 or below or whatever, you know. Um, so then, because in The Prisoner's Dilemma, you don't know what your co-conspirator who's being who's in the other interrogation room is going to do. And in Blackjack, you do know what they're going to do, given the different opportunities under the card. But you don't know the card. You don't know the card. Um, and then you have a range of probabilities as to what the card is, depending on your skill of a card counter. Like, if you're the perfect card counter, you know precisely. This is a five-deck shoe, and this many cards have been dealt out of it, this many have been burned, this many have been shown. I know every... Okay, the three of spades is... Or, you know, two three of spades are gone, and one six of diamonds, you know, and you have the exact thing. So then you can easily compute what the whole card may be and what it cannot be, etc. What I mean, I think the basics of the game theory thing are when you have a set of legal moves, there are multiple methodologies for selecting amongst them. One of them could be the superstitious. Anytime I've got a diamond, I'm hitting. Fuck, you know, yeah. nothing else matters. This is my system and I believe in it. That's, okay, that's a strategy. Right. You could implement it. But a large part of what I take game theory to be is examining that space of possible decision procedures and mathematically attempting to narrow down to the most optimal decision procedures given any state game state and information state etc and that uh going through that analysis to the best of your ability indicates what bet you ought to make next i don't know yeah okay i i i'm not i guess what i'm trying to say is the card you don't know you know what what it is you know and then there's the cards you do you know when you make a decision just based on what information is available uh that seems to me more like just going in the game of red and black just choosing black every time and not bothering to go red at all because if you go red 
Uh, going red every time, they could go black every time, and you're just always losing the game or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> you know, um, yeah. So that, that's what it seems like. So it's like, okay, well, the safest strategy would then be to just ignore what the the you know the card you can't see, and just to make your decisions based on that. That sounds like it's equivalent to the just play black in the game of red and black. Or That's I don't an interesting know. phrasing to me to use to say safest there or what, because then it depends. And maybe okay, that could bring up to wrap it back to the truth discussion. What the truth? The, the earlier talk about like should we value it or not? So if what you value in the game is safety, defined however you define it. In red and black, you might define it as never maximally lose like never get taken advantage of in the prisoner's dilemma never agree to cooperate and get shafted by them tattling on you and then you get the 10 year sentence and they get off scot-free like maybe you value never letting that happen so then you defect every time so then you know you can never get fucked you know so yeah so maybe what i mean to say is in this multiple iteration game that is not the optimal strategy for getting the fewest prisoners' sentences or getting the most points in red and black or winning the most chips at blackjack. So the blackjack example, I assume, would be to be safe would be like, never bust, which I guess would mean never take a hit. Every time you get your hand, just say, I hold here. You do what you do and hope the dealer busts every time and try to win over time. What game theory comes in and says is, Okay, well, let's run that over a trillion trials or whatever and have the player in seat two be a safe player and they never hit. And then have the player in seat three be the reckless player and they always hit until they get 21 or bust. And, and we run all the different strategies and then one of them, we give the optimal card counting, like perfect play to the extent that Game Theory Blackjack 2018 can invent it and see who has more chips after a billion games and then that we determine to be the optimal strategy. And safe strategy is in most games that I'm aware of going to lose long term. Um, yeah, like the Blackjack player who never well, hits. Man, what I should have said was it's like... Um, it should have been different. The black, it should be that there you get more points for red if you both hit red. You get less points for black if you don't hit black. But if you hit red and the, per, another, and the other person hits black, the black gets more points and the red gets even less points or something. So, yeah, it would be optimal if you both hit red because you both will get the most points than if you, you know, play black only and you get much fewer points. But there's always that risk that when you're playing red that someone might be like, you know what, I want a little extra points and they put down the black and you get screwed because you're like, yay, we're together. And yeah, that's how I should have described it. So that, I think, matches up with what you're saying better with uh, the safe thing. So I take it all back. I wonder if I'm the only person who's never heard of red and black, anyway. No, no, you're not. 
some zero listener out there is like, oh yeah, that professor, he talked about it in that philosophy class. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, truth, it's out there. Truth is out there. <laughs> okay, right, that was, alright, there's another thing I was going to maybe talk about at some point. If we accept correspondence theory and say that the truth is the property of those linguistic objects that represent that which is the case or the state of the world or whatever, you know, you didn't like that which is the case. No, no, I liked it, but I just don't know. I wanted to... Yeah, playing playing dumb to help the audience. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Of the... There are more ways... Let's see if this becomes a fact. Well, like, are you willing to accept this? Uh, okay. There are more ways to be false than to be true. Of course. Okay. Yeah. That was. I thought. I hoped that would be easy. So, what if the language that you're using, because if truth has to be a property of language, just can't express any truths, which to me seems plausible. You know, if what are your candidate sentences? Well, they include the cat is on the mat. Well, what what if there are no cats? <laughs> Whoops, that's one of the ways to be false. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways is if the cat's not on the mat. But another way would be cats don't exist. Whoops, your Linnaean taxonomical habit is a big fucking mistake, and there are no such thing as species, which there aren't. Episode twelve. <laughs> That's another way to so that the, maybe there are so many ways to be false that English is just always false because of either its structure or its categories or you know, any of these things. That's not the way the world works. Sorry, your big memeplex that you evolved over time might be pragmatically useful in a range of circumstances, but it's never precisely accurate to the way the world is. And so it is impossible to express a truth in English. To me, that seems plausible. Yeah, that's I, I, that's all fine, you know, even including, you know, the species and that kind of a thing. Um you know, but that pretty much includes everything, of course, right? You know, the world exists, question mark, but the language we use to nail it down can't do the job. I don't know if that does justice at all to what you're trying to say. Yeah, can't nail it down. What? Yeah, I can't that carpentry hear you over the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> that carpentry metaphor works just fine. Okay. But you know, that's another prevalent aspect of English. As George Lakoff reminds us often, that it's heavily metaphorical. Yeah. And can a metaphor be is that even a candidate? Like can it be true? Well, it can be apt or evocative or 
conversationally efficacious. There's lots of things sure. that metaphors can be, but I don't know that they can be true. Yeah, yeah. And Hofstadter makes a bunch of... A lot of yeah. authors talk about the prevalence of metaphor. And if, as long as we're in our natural languages, just speaking in metaphors, then we're not speaking truths. Yeah, I... I uh I don't have a huge issue with that. Holy fuck. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah, to generate the sparks needed for this, I need a different foil, it seems. Oh, you As the, you know, I got this foil. game player over here who's like, yeah, yeah I Sorry. don't really think about truth very much, and <laughs> when I'm encountered with the nihilist, I'm like, yeah, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're... Go ahead. <laughs> totally. I'm like, sure, that's cool. <laughs> Shit. Oh. Only an hour and 45 minutes. I'm sorry. Is there anything else that we can talk about regarding the truth? Well, you do need a different foil. You do. <laughs> Not because... I, I thought, you know, if we had prepared, we could have brought up certain things and made it interesting. But instead, I knew that, like, well, we're just going to have to make it interesting on our own. And I think we've done that a little bit. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't uh, I Harlan, hope so. Harlan's giving me the look of, like, oh, this is where he talks about the end. <laughs> this uh, is the end. This is the end. My very friend, the end. Um, I know. Fucking Harrison Peterson can go on with this. For four hours and then get 5,000 people in multiple cities <laughs> to come listen to them talk about the truth. And we're like, no, nah, we fucking, it's, we ham- we're done. <laughs> we hammered it out. Carpentry metaphor again. Uh, yeah. We're done. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I don't know. We could talk about what they were talking about, but I don't know what they were talking about on that podcast or whatever, which was a while ago now. Not that far ago, but long ago, whatever. It's the scotch talking at this point. Right, that's part of it. Right, we could... I, various conversational participants might spend more time and energy and effort on the definition itself. Since you don't care, you're just like, alright, you define it. <laughs> and I'm like, I like correspondence. They're like, done! But that's what a large part of the Harris thing was. Harris is a correspondence guy, and Peterson is a strange, idiosyncratic version of a pragmatic truth person. It seemed to me. Okay. Like he was trying to be a some kind of Darwinian version of pragmatic truth. So, they tell me... Pragmatists are another one similar to the postmodernists that I don't think most people deeply engage with the texts and get right, and rather just parody... But the parody version of pragmatic truth is, truth is what works. Yeah. Whatever that means. And then so Peterson's version of pragmatic truth is the Darwinist spin on what works. What works is, promotes the survival of the human species. So, the truth is that which allows humanity to thrive. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. Which sounds like Harris should like, because Harris is all about human flourishing. Yeah, yeah. But he's also a scientismist. Mm. Or whatever, and is all about the no. There has to be an absolute 
certain truth. You know, he's a kind of absolutist, fundamentalist truther. And so they were able to go on about that for a long... Uh, definitions are important. Well, at least they kind of have one through you, or two through you. Correspondence theory and the pragmatism Darwinian one. Although I'm not quite sure they were able to get on the same page. I'm not quite... I don't know what it was about uh, in the end. If it was just Sam Harris trying to get Peterson to admit something. But at the end, it wasn't about truth, right? It was just about them tussling over what they were you know, trying to get on the same page. Maybe Peterson was like, oh, crap, I've said something and I'm not quite sure about it either. I've got to, like, back out of this one, but it's going to be real slow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, your assessment of the situation seemed spot on to me. Uh-oh. Stop agreeing with God me! <laughs> <laughs> you tried to do the species thing, and I'm like, eh, whatever. We can talk about that another day. I do yeah. think that there are some... I don't know how to have some topics be part of our little podcast, but I sometimes, like, it pops up in my head, and I'm like, fuck, we should do something. Like, but I don't know if it would be any good or not, you know, or if it would be any... Uh, if it would be worthwhile. It could be something we do, and we're like, no, we're not going to put that one out there to the zero members of our audience. But, like, climate change is another one that I've got, like, kind of like a... Climate change and global warming, that's something that gets, like, politicized the hell out of. But it would be interesting to have that topic as a conversation between us, you know? Uh, I'm not quite sure how far it would go, if it would be a half hour. Then I could play your role of being like, whatever. I don't know or care about this at all. (laughs) You say whatever you want. No. But but (laughs) here's the thing. It's so fucking hot out. We have the air conditioning on. I'm not saying that is equivalent to climate change, but it is a hot... Yeah. Anyway, they keep saying, like, fourth hottest, and I'm like, fourth? Why isn't it number one? Have you heard, Brian, that there's a difference between weather and climate? Yes, there is, you (laughs) bitch. (laughs) There is. And I'll tell you what it is on that day when we do that podcast. That episode. We should probably release people for now. Mm Mm-hmm. Saved by the bell. Anyway, we tried to talk about truth. We'll probably be back to it. This is the end. this is a big one. And you're like, I don't care. <laughs> no, it's important. <laughs> we might need a guest foil. Yeah. Or whatever. Maybe that's a bad word. <clears throat> Bye, Zero members. Email us at dollarsphilosophy <laughs> at gmail.com if you believe in truth. Ah, yes. And we'll read your emails on the next episode or on a special episode a special christmas episode i don't fucking know anyway bye bye it's christmas time there's no need to be afraid at christmas time we let in light